I want to welcome you back. My name is Grayson Mann. This is the Man with a Plan podcast, episode 22. As always, I want to thank you guys for the fantastic, overwhelming support that you continue to pour on the podcast. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, Google Podcasts, wherever you get it, we're there. Try to help support the podcast by leaving us a five-star review, following, or even subscribing wherever you are listening currently. Thank you, as always. Today, we are going to talk about a we're going to cover the spectrum, as I want to say. We're going to talk about Jimmy G, why he's Alex Smith, that you are more similar than you think. We're going to talk about the NBA. <gasps> Gasp. We're talking about basketball? That's not March Madness? Stay tuned for that. We're going to talk about some draft predictions after the crazy, 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 crazy trades. Where San Francisco moved up to three, Miami is at six, and Philadelphia is at 12. What do we make of that? Well, I want to start with Jimmy Garoppolo. Obviously, we can separate the draft and then the 49ers as a whole because them moving up to three is a pretty big deal. And usually if you're going to give up that much, they give up two firsts for their later drafts. Usually if you're going to move up that significantly, it is like a it's signaling to the rest of the league what you are wanting to do as a team. What did San Francisco struggle with last year? They were a pretty good team. They had a lot of injuries and that injury bug has been kind of consistent with San Francisco. When they signed Jimmy Garoppolo to that Major, major deal after playing, I think it was six games as like the he they came in. He brought some life to us, one in ten San Francisco team. It was five games, yeah, because they went up six and ten. They went undefeated. And everyone was like, all right, we've seen enough. So San Francisco signed him to a deal. And then two games into that, they were playing Kansas City and he tore his ACL. And usually you're not going to, it's just an unfortunate accident, an unfortunate injury. They stunk. And then they were able to draft, excuse me, Nick Bosa. San Francisco 49ers were healthy. They were able to go 13-3, and win a Super Bowl, and you're like, all right, we've got the foundation for a team. And then again, this year, the injury bug struck. Jimmy Garoppolo had a high ankle sprain, and they went 7-9. and nine. Nick Mullins, C.J. Beathard, a mix of quarterbacks, took over. Garoppolo struggled when he tried to come back and did not play much this season. It was kind of a tumultuous year for San Francisco, I would say, going 7-9 and nine after going to the Super Bowl. It was the ultimate Super Bowl hangover, but a lot of it you could say well, if we were healthy this year, we probably would have been able to compete. We had a pretty good roster. If we had Nick Bosa on the line, it was a pretty tough thing to watch because I think Nick, Nick Mullins is capable, but he's clearly not what Kyle Shanahan wants to use as his quarterback. And it started to make me think, why did San Francisco move up to number three? Did they want to upgrade at a certain position? Did they want to get the best possible player available? Now they're going to go for a quarterback. And you're going, oh, 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 well, they have Jimmy Garoppolo. Jimmy Garoppolo's injury history, sometimes his decision-making isn't as strong as you'd like to think it is, and it makes me think, all right, well, if they're going to draft a quarterback, who? You've heard rumors of Mac Jones, Justin Fields, Trey Lance, not Zach. I think it's assumed at this point that it's going to be Trevor Lawrence 1, Zach Wilson 2, and then the rest is a mystery even more now because of San Francisco, and so I began to think, all right, what other San Francisco quarterback played really strongly in one year? gets injured the next, and is sent out of town. Alex Smith. Alex Smith in 2011 led the 49ers to the playoffs to the NFC Championship game where they fell in overtime to the New York Giants that won the Super Bowl of the year, beating Tom Brady for the second time in four years. And then Alex Smith had a strong 2012 campaign, 
Alex Smith got a concussion, and then they got a new guy in, Colin Kaepernick, who took over the NFL, the whole dab and the tattoo and all that stuff, took him to the Super Bowl. So Alex Smith was shipped out of town as Jim Harbaugh continued to try to build a 49ers team, losing to his brother in that Super Bowl. That was cool. That was actually the first Super Bowl I closely watched, not just because of the commercials. I got into football pretty late. I was only about 11, 10, before I started to really dive into it and be like, all right, I like this, I like that. These are the stats. It's about fourth grade where I really started to get into it, and that was the year where Joe Flacco played Colin Kaepernick in the Super Bowl, the big shutdown. That was a pretty fantastic game. The controversial pass interference with Michael Crabtree in the end zone. Is Joe Flacco elite? Ooh, questions for the podcast. So I think that Alex Smith got shipped out of town, and I think, all right, if Garoppolo is going to get shipped out of town, where would he go? And the first team that comes into everybody's minds is the New England Patriots. New England struggled at QB similarly, like San Francisco, going 7-9. and nine. Struggling. They have a team there. It's hiding somewhere. There's a playoff team hiding there. But they're, hold, they're struggling at quarterback. Something is holding them back. And so you think, okay, maybe New England makes a couple deals, gets Gilmore shipped in there, and Jimmy Garoppolo is reunited with Belichick, who Belichick wanted, by the way, in 2017, before Brady said, it's either him or me, you got to make a choice. And at the end, that worked out for New England because they were able to get another Super Bowl out of it. So, give or take on that. But something also came out this week about the New England Patriots from Jermaine Wiggins saying that the trust really isn't there. They look at Jimmy Garoppolo like a Mr. Glass. You can be many things in the NFL, but not dependable is not one of these things that you want to be classified as. And I feel I really feel for Garoppolo because there's, there's so much talent there. He's a good game manager quarterback. He gets you what you need. If you need a third down throw, a safe third down throw, he's going to give it to you. If you want to take top over the defense after run the ball like six times, Garoppolo can do that. He only threw the ball like eight times in the NFC Championship game when they went to the Super Bowl. But Garoppolo was always so good at being efficient when he needed to be. He understood his role in the offense. He was the distributor. He was going to get the ball to his playmakers. And if something were to come up where you had to make a play, you could trust on him. He was reliable. But this injury stuff, it makes you like kind of go, oh, I don't know about that. And... I think some teams that we could look at for Garoppolo, maybe New Orleans makes a move. Jameis Winston, is he really the guy? Does San Francisco hold on to him for another year? That could be something interesting, a dynamic between a rookie quarterback and Jimmy Garoppolo. Does Jimmy Garoppolo then step up? And maybe his trade value, because it's assumed that no matter what happens, Garoppolo will eventually be shipped out and be replaced by the inevitable draft pick. Probably, If I were to pick now, they'd probably pick Justin Fields. Justin Fields is solid. He's a winner from Ohio State. Fits into Kyle Shanahan's scheme. That would be a lot of fun to watch. Wow. Maybe that would make the NFC East, e- NFC West even more, even more drama-filled tension. Matthew Stafford versus Justin Fields. Those would be fireworks. So Russell Wilson, can he mend the tension with Pete Carroll and take Seattle to another division title? That would be crazy to watch. I think that Jimmy Garoppolo and Alex Smith comparison, obviously Alex Smith went through a horrific, horrific injury, and teams are kind of scared. Ron Rivera came out with a quote, he was just like felt bad sending him out there, especially against like dudes, Aaron Donald, who just like landed on top of him, because you saw the, all, the, all the documentaries, it's horrifying. You As a coach, it's kind of a psychological thing. Do you really want to put a guy out there who has a family, who doesn't really need the money necessarily? It's just like, can I live with that? If he gets hurt again like that, what if he loses his leg, loses the ability to walk? It's some of these things that's like super deep that you're like, oh, it makes you take a step back. 
I don't think Jimmy Garoppolo necessarily has the same problem, because I think Garoppolo is a lot better than Alex Smith, but it made me think. Two Niners QBs, both got hurt at one point in their career. Can Jimmy Garoppolo find his Kansas City, where Alex Smith was able to find a comfortable spot for three to four years, eventually was replaced by Mahomes, but it was at the tail end of that career, where he was able to make the playoffs a couple times, compete, make some money, and really be a well-respected pinpoint and how Kansas City is there today because Alex Smith was able to have some stability. All you really want out of a team sometimes is stability, being able to compete, go to the playoffs. Maybe Chicago could take a shot at Jimmy Garoppolo, have that stable quarterback because Chicago's a good team. That would actually, with Allen Robinson, Jimmy Garoppolo, they could stay healthy. That could be a team that can compete with Aaron Rodgers in a division in the NFC North that's probably getting weaker by the year, especially with Green Bay. They're trending upwards. Minnesota's kind of a question mark. Detroit, obviously, is going to be somewhat of a circus this year. And then Chicago, if they can get grappled, that'd be, whew, that would be insane. So I want to shift to my, ooh, get ready for this, guys. Get ready. Basketball. <gasps> Basketball, okay. All right. What is the finals matchup we all think is going to happen this year? Go ahead. If you want to go ahead and comment it, if you want to send me a message, I thought it was this. Obviously, Nets... Lakers have been the staple, especially since they have Harden, Kyrie, KD, LeBron, and AD, the defending champions. It seems like the writing's on the wall. What are we going to do? There's no... Is it really the foregone conclusion that we believe it to be? I'm going to lay out some points so you guys don't freak out because this is my... This is new territory for me. I'm just dipping my feet. If you guys like this and you want more basketball stuff, we can start to mend the two sports together. That'd be a lot of fun. I'm really starting to get into basketball more because of March Madness. Speaking of March Madness, the bracket contest is heating up. The Final Four decides who gets a free segment on the show. After Monday, I will hit up the winner and say, hey, let's set up an interview, let's set up a time, get a segment, whatever you want to talk about. That'll be super exciting. My current pick right now is going to be a Gonzaga-Baylor National Championship. UCLA had a great story, but I feel like they play the, they're about to play the wrong team at the wrong time. Gonzaga's hot. Gonzaga's really good with offense. Like, oh, UCLA knows what they are. They have a great identity. They played really well, really well together. Beat Michigan. Beat a lot of great teams to get there. Great, great story for the Pac-12, especially a conference that I feel in the major sports have been kind of left out of the dark. They've been kind of just sitting there waiting for a team to kind of take that spot as the premier Pac-12 team. So, let's talk about the Nets and the Lakers. I, I really want to start with the Lakers, especially because LeBron and AD are both currently out. They signed Andre Drummond. And they got thrashed by the Bucks yesterday with Giannis. And what happens if the Lakers start getting on this, like, this downward slope? So I wanted to read off some teams that they have to play upcoming. So I already talked about the Bucs. LeBron's going to be out for three to five weeks with this high ankle sprain. Now, I'm not saying that they're going to miss the playoffs or anything because that's ridiculous. Because the Lakers are a good enough team to be able to secure a seven or a six seed. But what happens if you have to go up against a really well-team-oriented Chris Paul Suns? The Denver Nuggets always present a challenge with Jokic. Maybe the Clippers start to find that, figure that out with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. Is Ty Lue the guy to be able to mend that together? The Clippers could be a good team, especially asking a 36-year-old LeBron James. I know it's LeBron James, but a high ankle sprain is no joke, especially we just talked about someone who has a high ankle sprain. The way LeBron plays, so heavy, he plays with such force, to be able to have to warm that back up in the playoffs, especially when he gets back, I think that's a tough task, especially... Because your sidekick in Anthony Davis is also a little fragile. I don't think you can expect Andre Drummond to carry you through like a first-round matchup, maybe against Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. 
that could be dangerous. So let's read off the teams. They've already played the Bucks. They're going to play the Nets, who are still a good team. This this is no, like, knock. This this topic's not a knock on these teams, saying that this this is just a presenting of a what-if. Like, it's not all foregone like you think. So then they play the Nets, the Celtics, the Clippers, Miami. Those are the teams you're like, oh. They play a revamped Knicks team, Hornets team. They play Doncic twice, and they play the Utah Jazz. That's another team, Utah, that can really give somebody problems in the first round, especially an aging, kind of, sort of healthy Lakers team. AD comes back soon, but he's fragile. LeBron of a high ankle sprain could be, it just, it seems like he's asking too much. And also, especially since Los Angeles and Miami, when they ended the season in October, and they went right back to it in December, it starts to catch up on you, because they don't usually have a lot of time to rest their bodies, especially as LeBron gets older, AD gets older. You need those, you need those days off, and the pandemic, in a way, actually helped them get revamped, revitalized. They were able to take like a couple days off. Everyone needs a day off or two. No matter how old or how young you are, having those days off is really important. Let's go to the side of the Brooklyn Nets. It seems a little easier because you think with the Eastern Conference, especially this year, a lot, I think five through eight, they're either right at 500 or below it, especially with those disappointing Boston Celtics. But I think that with, uh, I think we had this topic a long, long time ago, it was about Tampa Bay, and Tampa Bay ended up winning the Super Bowl, so this could be me kind of speaking into existence, like, who do you trust on Tampa Bay? It was really a struggle of who in the end is going to be able to step it up and lead this team against a bunch of really strong teams in the conference, the Saints, the Packers, the Washington football team had a great defense, and that ended up being the clear answer of Tom Brady, but they were 7-5, and five. we didn't know what they were, they had to find that identity. Katie, Kyrie, and Harden, and then their new pieces, they haven't really played together. Who's going to be the guy to take that shot at the end? How does that mesh well? Who is the guy that steps up when it's most important? Is it KD, the two-time world champion? Is it Kyrie, the guy who had a game-winning shot in the NBA Finals against the Warriors? Or is it Harden, the guy who's basically been the team's number one the entire year? Because KD and Kyrie have been interchangeable. KD with his injuries. Kyrie had some family issues. He's kind of an enigma. I... I'm speaking as this from a perspective of a Celtics fan who was with Kyrie for so long and they kind of like dipped out. So that's my perspective on that. Who gets the ball at the end? Who is the guy that you can trust? With healthy 76ers team with an MVP candidate, Joel Embiid, kind of challenge you a little bit? Because the Nets have been giving up a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of points. They're in the bottom half of defensive efficiency. They're in the bottom half of points allowed. What happens if you face a team that can stop you and that can score like a Giannis who can just at will go to the paint, drive, kick it out to somebody like Chris Middleton? It could present a big challenge for a Brooklyn Nets team that's starting to find their identity. It's all about finding yourself. In the playoffs sometimes, even in a seven-game series, that might not be the best place to do that. So there's my two cents on the basketball world. If you guys want more of that, please let me know. So when we return, we're going to talk about the draft moves, the big, big moves that were centered around last weekend, and my top three bold moves and bold predictions. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 22. Stay tuned for more. Thank you so much. We'll be right back. This is the Man with the Plan podcast, episode 22. 
if you have missed it or you skipped ahead to see the end of the segment. I don't know. We leave the stuff out there so you can kind of pick and choose what you want. Usually it's in order of what the show runs by. But we talked about the NBA, Lakers, Nets, the finals. Is it as a foregone conclusion as we think? And we talked about why Jimmy Garoppolo and Alex Smith may be more similar than you think. So now we're going to talk about the draft, more about the moves that were made, and then my three bold predictions. I really hope you guys enjoy this. All right. So you've seen the moves. For San Francisco moved down to, moved down, moved up to three. Miami moved up. They moved down, and they moved up, but they're now at six. Philadelphia is at 12. Two of those teams have shown some, I, I would say somewhat of loyalty to their quarterbacks. Miami has shown their loyalty to Tua. And Philadelphia has somewhat shown their loyalty to Jalen Hurts. I'm not sold on that yet. I don't think even Philadelphia is, and it's all big, big mystery. So we'll stay tuned on that. So I want to talk about my three bold predictions moving forward. And I really want to talk about the NFL draft moving forward because April is a big month for football because usually we have the combine, we have the pro days. Now we have just the draft coming up. Do you guys want to see draft profiles? Things where we kind of cover a team, like three teams over course of a podcast and we kind of dive into what they need what they want how their season went over their strengths weaknesses which new rookies would fit that mold i would that would be exciting i think we should do it by division and kind of do like four teams to break down that'd be fun for me give me something to do when i'm not working be great so let's start with prediction number one you guys are gonna don't get the pitchforks out for this i promise they won't be as heinous as some some of my predictions have been all right number one i want to go darnold to Denver. Darnold will get shipped to Denver in the upcoming month, or Denver will make a move with New York and get their new QB, Sam Darnold. That would be insane. All right, let's talk about it because you're going, okay, well, what if you're not sold on Drew Locke just yet? Are you going to give him one more year? Well, here's the thing. A quote came out a couple days ago or yesterday by Philip Lindsay that was very eye-opening that he was in a battle with himself. Denver made all the right moves last offseason to get Drew Locke the weapons he needed, and obviously you can make the argument that without Cortland Sutton, the season was kind of already down the down like you dug a couple feet under the ground. And no Von Miller, so you're like, oh, here we go again with Denver. But I think Drew Locke didn't do enough to impress me. I didn't think he made fantastic decisions. He's always seemed to me as this like somewhat better version of like a Johnny Manziel and not good enough to be a Baker Mayfield, who where all of them share this characteristic of a somewhat of an ego. But I think Baker Mayfield's been able to bury the hatchet with that, find that balance. And I think Drew Locke's in this awkward spot. He's good enough to be your like backup or maybe a starting quarterback for an average team, but I don't think it really cuts it for Denver, a team that's really trying to find their footing. I've always said it with Denver. Championship defense, just absolutely terrible offense. Like, I think that you're up here with their, like, their defense could win you a Super Bowl and their offense could get you number one pick in the draft. It's that that much of a just the complete and total polar opposite. So I think Sam Darnold could really come in here to Denver with the weapons that they have. I think Sam Darnold's got a lot left in the tank. I think the Jets completely killed his career, especially with Adam Gase. Adam Gase is basically like the plague. Anything he touches like just goes, it's just bad. It's rotten. It's, it's not the best thing in the world. I, I hate to use a plague description with all this stuff, but Sam Darnold. I would love for his athleticism, his tools... To be paired with, with Melvin Gordon, this developing offensive line, I would really, the prospect of it, makes me really excited. Sam Darnold in the mile high, being able to compete in a division with electric quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, Justin Herbert, Derek Carr, it'd be a really exciting thing. Let's move on to number two. 
Miami shows its loyalty to Tua, but they're not done yet. I think Miami will continue to shuffle around. They have a lot of assets to work with, and I think they're still trying to build those assets. They're trying to become this team that's got all the stuff. Like Oklahoma City, they have 17 draft picks in the first round and in the second round. So they're going to be able to do a lot of moves, make a lot of things happen with trades. Not necessarily in the draft, but find players where teams want draft picks, start to move things around. If Miami doesn't like their guy at six, they got a lot, a lot of freedom to work with. I think that's what's so nice for them. They don't really have like this number three pick. Miami's never going to be picking number three for a long time. They got a really good program down there. Brian Flores is moving that team in the right direction. Great culture. We'll see about Tua, but I think that if they get another receiver, maybe if they don't even like that, they can move back in the draft, stockpile assets, and just see what the field does moving forward. Because I think Miami's a good enough team to go 10-6 and six next year, even with Tua as their quarterback. So it'd be very interesting to see that. Number three, all right, you guys aren't going to like this. I already know if you know me as a person and don't know me personally from the podcast, put your pitchforks down. I promise. I have my back. I have my reasoning for this. Number three, New England will get into the top five in draft quarterback. You go, whoa, 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 whoa. You're not allowed to talk about that. Here we go. What has New England's mantra been all offseason? They've been different and they've been aggressive. They've signed so many free agents. They've upgraded at so many positions. And they brought back Cam Newton. Their first move, ironically, of the offseason was to make the safe choice. Get Cam Newton back, a guy who's familiar with the system, year two, provide him with some weapons and see what happens. But I'm not convinced. I think Belichick's been moving around, looking at what's available. Obviously, you know, you can't get Trevor Lawrence. Can't get Zach Wilson. I don't think Mac Jones is the guy for knowing anything that would be disastrous. Even with the new weapons that they have, I think Justin Fields and Trey Lance fit that mold, not only because they're no Mac Jones or they can't get Trevor Lawrence, because they fit the style of what Cam Newton has. Because I think what you could do, you could draft a quarterback, let him sit for a year, and learn behind Cam Newton, who's been able to do it in the NFL for so long with the style of play that Justin Fields and Trey Lance possess. Both of them are really great passers. Both of them really good with scrambling the football. They're able to make tough plays. They got the frame for it. They're that hard-nosed hitter. They're able to run people over. Trey Lance especially, go check out his highlights on YouTube. They are insane. They made me very excited to see him in the NFL. I think if you're Belichick, there's no pressure to be able to, all right, we have to start you week one. Let's see what Cam's got. And Cam could give you another good year of football, maybe make the playoffs, a wild card, and when you're ready. This is the key. With rookie quarterbacks, there's no patience anymore. It's week one or bust. There has to be a level of patience. Let him sit for a year. Let him learn how to be a pro. Belichick would be the perfect organization to kind of nurture a rookie, teach him the ropes, show you how to be a pro, how to study film like a pro, how to go to practice like a pro, how to hold a clipboard, call out some signals, call out some things, learn from Cam Newton what it's like to be a dual threat quarterback in the football league. It, it's almost like you're, the more you listen, think about it, like I could totally see it with the way they've acted this offseason. I think Kraft came out with an interview yesterday. He said that they've been looking at things differently. I think that this whole Tom Brady thing in Tampa Bay gave him a wake-up call. Sometimes you need to get aggressive in the NFL to get things done. And that's why I think New England will draft a quarterback in the top five, Justin Fields or Trey Lance. All right, this episode is going to be posted. If you're listening to this, it should be Friday morning when it posts. We got a fantastic interview being recorded on Friday afternoon. It will go live Saturday or Sunday. Definitely on the weekend, though. It's going to be a fantastic interview. All I'm going to say is, the person that we're interviewing is going to come challenge this Georgia take that I had, and we're going to talk some SEC football, Georgia as a whole. It's going to be so exciting. 
I am so pumped for it. We've been working some questions. We've been going back and forth on what works for the show. I am pumped. Hopefully, we have another interview down the road. I've got a couple people that are like, I want to get on the show, all the stuff that I'm excited to see what happens moving forward. We're really close to the summer, which means this podcast is going to start to become more of a daily thing. I'm going to try to get at least two or three per week. Give you all more of an updated, refined schedule once I get back moved into my house. Not in Clemson. But as always, thank you guys so much for listening. If you've tuned in and you stayed all along this way, thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Just support it. Just spread the word. That's all I got to say left. Thank you guys so much. As always, I hope you have a fantastic day. And take care. (laughs) 